All right. So I uh, am just going to totally shoot straight with you guys just right here at the start uh, because I think that hopefully uh, that'll, that'll let you guys in a little bit on my heart for this because uh, I have put off and wrestled with God a little bit over the past several weeks and uh, ad- admittedly probably months about uh, stepping out of our normal uh, series that we're working our way through, Luke, and, and having uh, this conversation this evening with you guys. So uh, we are going to pray as we get started because uh, I, I think over the past four or five months now, all of us would admit that we have uh, learned some lessons from the Lord. And so I just want to uh, share with you guys a little bit of what God has been teaching me tonight. And we'll just, we'll, we'll talk through it and hopefully we'll hear from him and not from me. And we'll have a great evening. So I, I want to pray for us, and then we'll jump in together this evening. Let's pray. God, we thank you for, um, God, for the, the beautiful weather, for the opportunity that we have to, um, God, just to, to hear from you tonight, God, to, to meet and to gather together, to be uh, an encouragement to one another, to be uh, in fellowship with one another, even uh, with the beautiful outdoors that we can just spend time outside and, and spreading out and listening to, God, listening to, to your word, uh, both by singing it and by opening it up and, and studying it together this evening. God, we pray that, uh, God, that, that everything that we do tonight, that it would point uh, to you. God, this is not about me. This is not about Bill and Diana. This is not about anything other than, God, we want everything uh, to be what you have for us tonight. So God, we pray that you would speak and that you would move and that uh, you would hide me behind your cross as we share this evening. So we give this time to you and we pray that you would work. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen. All right, so as we get going, I uh, want to admit something to you guys. I, I guess uh, I'm a professional at something and I don't know if anybody knows it or not. I think we've probably got a few other professionals at this same thing as I look around the room. Uh, one of the things that I love doing is going and just sitting in public and watching people. Whether it's at the beach, you kind of sit and you watch groups as they come around you and watch how their families interact or how couples engage or, or, or what people are uh, doing for, for fun or, or, or conversations that they're having. We, we eavesdrop, eavesdrop in and listen to other people's conversations and stuff, right? Sometimes we do that in public. I'm the only one. Everybody's just staring at me. I do know that the majority of the time that I do that, or often when I do that, it's usually because my wife has taken me along somewhere and I'm just along for the ride, and so I'm sitting outside of a dressing room, or I'm sitting outside of a store, or holding a purse somewhere, or whatever, and you just you, you get an opportunity to watch, to, to watch people, uh, to see what's going on, to, to, to observe what's going on around us. And so uh, over the last several years of my life, I've been watching this progression that we're going to talk about a little bit tonight. See, I I can't attest to what it was like when some of you guys were younger, uh, but I I can tell you that over my adult life, I've watched people become less and less interested in engaging with each other when they're out in public. We start to see more and more people, uh, when they go to dinner, they're not sitting talking to the person across from them. I I saw a family the other day, sitting all four of them, mom, dad, and two kids, all four of them sitting there, uh, couldn't even bother looking up from their devices the entire time that they were eating together. 
They went out to dinner and didn't engage with each other at all. They all just sat there and, and watched their uh, devices, uh, played on their phones, whatever it was that they were doing. And the more I watch this, the more I see this, the more I, I see this progression start to develop, the, the more I have to uh, come to some conclusions in my own mind. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. Uh, I think that people are becoming more and more isolated. Even before uh, COVID kind of forced us to isolate and forced us to separate ourselves and, and distance and wear masks and all of those other things, even just in normal life, six months ago, a, a year ago, people engaged less and less. People, uh, the, the picture that I kind of have in my head is, is people were around each other, but they weren't necessarily engaging with each other. It was, it was like everyone was taking a big elevator ride together. Because you know when you get in the elevator, everybody comes in the elevator, and you walk into the elevator, and everybody turns around, and you look up, and you stare at the numbers. Ding, 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 and it's my floor, and I get out, right? Nobody looks at each other. Nobody talks to each other. I will tell you guys, if you want to have fun with everybody that's around you at some point and make everybody else really uncomfortable, get in the elevator and don't turn around and just stare at everybody. People don't know what to do. They, it's, I have to find ways to amuse myself, and that's one of the things that I do sometimes, just because people, people don't know what to do, right? Anyways, uh, so it's like everyone is living life in this space where we, we're around people, but we don't necessarily engage with people. And maybe this is, this, this is just an opinion, but I believe that, that some of the problems that we're seeing start to creep up in our world, start to, to, to make themselves more evident with the mental and emotional disorders that we see, the depression and anxiety and social isolation that people are experiencing, that the stuff that people are going through in their hearts, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we have become so separated and so isolated as a society. And this isn't a message about uh, disorders or that all of that type of stuff is, is way out of my depth. But I do want to point out just one thing as we get going with all of this. Because if we go back all the way to the very beginning of your Bible, you open up just page one, page two, page three. What we see in Scripture is the story about how God created the world. And we go through the days. If you go through the days of creation, you see day one, God created something and and he said it was good. And, and he created something on day two, and he said it was good. And three, and he said it was good. And we go all the way through, and there's, there's one thing in that creation story that God did not say he made it and it was good. Does anybody know what that thing is? He created man, and he said it's, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper for him. I, I, I'm going to make someone to, to be there with him. So guys, we can take that a lot of different ways. Uh, that it's, it's not good for us to, to live without women at our side. Uh, we need help a lot of the time. But what we see here is, is even from the very beginning, God created people to be social. That doesn't necessarily mean husband, wife, but just social people. We're, we're dependent on each other. We're dependent on having friends. We're dependent on having loved ones that are nearby us that, 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 that play a lot of roles in our life, whether it's a hug, whether it's a whack on the back of the head if you need it, whatever it might be, people play an important role in our life. And I think the world needs to see a new way. The world needs to see a new path in the direction that we're going because we've become more and more and more and more isolated to the point where 
we really need to just pause and stop and, and talk for a minute this evening about how God created us to engage and, and, and to work together and, and how we are called to function as a church. Church. The first thing that we're going to talk about this evening is that the world needs the church to be different. We're going to look at a couple of different Bible verses. The first one that we're going to look at, if you want to turn there, is in John chapter 13. I want to read for you guys verses 34 and 35. I know this is going to be a little bit different. We're going to, we're going to look at a couple of things right here as we start, uh, but I promise we're going to settle in in a passage and talk about Ephesians chapter 4 here in a few minutes. But in, in John 13, if you look at those verses, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and Jesus is kind of on the path to the end by this point. He, he's not at the end where he's going to the cross yet, but he is on that path, and so he's trying to prepare his disciples for uh, what's going to happen when he's gone. And he looks at them and he tells them these two things, verse 34 and 35, and I think it it rings true for us. It's important for us to hear tonight as well. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. So he's talking to the disciples. He's talking to these people that have been following him, and he's saying, guys, you you, you guys are like brothers. You, You... are supposed to love each other. You are supposed to treat each other with value, with respect, and the way that you treat each other is going to have a profound impact on the world around you. People are going to be able to look from the outside and look at you and see there's something special here. So if we just take that and apply it to today, look around you. Look around you and see brothers and sisters in our church that we are called to love that we are called to love each other in such a profoundly different way than we see everywhere else in society, that, that society, society will be able to look at us and see there's something strange going on there. There's something different going on there. The, the way that they treat each other, the way that they love each other, the way that they care for each other, it, it's different. And there's something special about it. See that this part is the easiest part. This is as easy as it gets tonight because if we look around, we look at the people that are here in our church, our our brothers and sisters, and what we see is a lot of people who share a lot of our beliefs. The things that are important to us, a lot of the time they're important to the person sitting here near you, right? They may have the same political ideas as you. They may have the same family values as you. They may have uh, the, the same hobbies, passions, things that they care about. See, a lot of us are, are a lot alike. So it's, it's kind of easy for us to, to love the people sitting in the square over from you a lot of the time, right? Let's turn to the next place, what God has to say about the way that we interact with other people. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read verses 43 through 48, and in these verses what we see is Jesus talking about how we as Christians are supposed to be different than the rest of the world. Because in, uh, if we're going to stop and be honest, what I just described, that we, that we love people that are kind of like us, that's, that's pretty normal, right? There's a lot of places in the world that we see people that, that love people that are similar to them. Let's look at what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 5. Starting in verse 43, he says, You have heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same thing? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, as simply as I can put this, if we read those verses, that doesn't sound a lot like the world that we're living in today, does it? That doesn't sound a lot like 2020. Love your enemies and, and, and pray for those who persecute you and, and show kindness to those who may disagree with you. One of the things that, that I would sum up and classify 2020 as so far as it has, it has proven to be the year where we really got to see everyone's true colors. We really got to see what everyone truly, really thought because in a lot of different areas, whether it's political, whether it's the, 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 the racial divide that has been going on in America, whether it is the, 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 the way that we deal with COVID and people's response to that, whatever it is, we've, we've started to see people kind of gang up into camps, right? We've started to see people separate out where uh, we, 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 we get on Facebook and we see people arguing over, well, well I'm right and you're wrong. Well, well, this is right and this is wrong. Well, 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 you should do it this way and not that way. And 2020 so far has, has turned into people in these little silos, people in these little groups where I love the people that agree with me but I don't necessarily engage or, or engage well with the people that don't hold my beliefs on an issue. We get on these rabbit trails. We, we, we get into these conversations and we find ourselves separating out. I can be friends with this person because they agree with me on this. I can, I, I can associate with this group of people because they agree with me on this. And we find ourselves thinking that, that the only way that we can find friends for ourselves, I'm just speaking generally. I'm not speaking, maybe this doesn't apply to you. I'm just talking generally about where we are in America in 2020. We find ourselves so isolated up that we just want to associate with people that agree with us on everything. And when we do that, is there anybody that fully agrees with you on everything? Anybody married in here say, uh, their wife or their husband agrees with them on everything? No. Okay. All right. No hands went up. Uh, anybody have friends? Any, anybody that's in school have friends on your basketball team or on your soccer team or, or in band with you that everybody agrees with you about everything that you think all the time? No? All right. So, in short, in summary, everybody's going to disagree with us on something. So when Jesus gave us the instructions, don't just love the people that are like you. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. The, the, the way that we act towards people that, that don't necessarily share our beliefs or share our opinions, it indicates how we love God. Now I want to get to the root of what we're really going to talk about. So find your way to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to dig in and talk about six verses at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4. And what these verses are going to talk about, what they're going to look at is, how do we respond in a world that seems so fractured? 
How do we respond? Church, what is it supposed to look like for us to be the church? Simply as we can put it, how are we supposed to respond in situations where it's, it's difficult for people to get along? Because we look around, I look around this parking lot and I see a lot of different views on stuff. I know there are people that share different political views sitting in this parking lot together tonight. There are people who share different family views of how they should parent their children that are sitting here tonight. There are people that, that root for different sports teams. You can probably, I look around, there's probably somebody wearing a t-shirt tonight. I don't know, I can't see any of them right now. Everybody likes somebody different, right? You're wearing a Dodgers shirt or an Angels shirt or a Yankees shirt or, or whatever. Everybody has to, to, to isolate themselves and, and, and just like their little bubble of people, right? We can't agree with people that are different than us. Let's look at Ephesians. I'm going to give you guys like half of the book of Ephesians tonight. And I know you guys don't think I can do that because I talk too long when I only get 10 verses but we're going to see if we can cover it. So Ephesians 1 through 3, chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3 are just this beautiful, it's an incredible picture of the gospel. Paul does a masterful job in those three chapters summarizing some really profound theological truths about who God is, about what God has done, about the way that Jesus came and the way that Jesus worked in the world. It tells us in those three chapters how God chose to save us. Even before we existed, even before we uh, were thought of in this world, God knew who we were and God chose to set his affection on us if we are his. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about that. It tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that, that, that even before God ever, uh, before we ever chose God, before we ever did anything to earn God's favor. There is nothing that we can do to earn God's favor. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 tell us that it is simply, as, as, as simple as we can put it, it is because God chose to love us and, and chose to save us that we are saved. It is not because of anything good that we've done. It is not because we earned it. It is not because of anything other than God's grace and God's mercy. It is by grace you are saved through faith. And it is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Nothing that we can do, nothing that we can earn, it is a gift of God. And so Paul works his way through this. And so chapter 1 talks about how God chose us and, 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 and loved us before we did, did anything to deserve to be loved. Then in 2, it, it tells us that he saved us even though we didn't deserve it. It also tells us in those first three chapters that we are blessed with the riches of his glorious inheritance in Jesus. It tells us that, that even as sinners, we are loved by God and we are given an incredible gift by God. That we are given an incredible inheritance, that, that one day we will be co-heirs with Jesus, that we have all the rights, all the privileges of a, a son or a daughter of God. That because God chose to adopt us, because God chose to make us his, we received that, we accepted that, and we have been given an incredible gift. Incredible gift. And so that's, that's the first three chapters of Ephesians in a nutshell. And so as we transition into 4, 5, and 6, the, the first half of the book talks about these big theological ideas. And then chapter 4, 5, and 6 at the end of the book talks about, all right, so we've had these big ideas. Now, what do we do with them? How do we, 
how do we act different? What difference does it make in our life? And so we're kind of at the pendulum swinging point where, where we turn from the big ideas to the let's get real practical. So let's look at the let's get real practical. In Ephesians chapter 4, it, it starts and Paul tells us, Paul tells the recipients in Ephesus to walk worthy of the calling which we've received. We're going to read these first six verses from Ephesians chapter 4 together and then dig in a little bit. Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In this opening sentence in chapter 4, Paul says, walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. This is the turning point. This is, this is the point where Paul starts to say, all right, guys, we've been talking about it. We've been talking about the big ideas. It's time to get real. It's time to, 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 to talk about how you're going to look different now. Other places in Scripture, in, in uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about the idea that, that we are a new person, that the person that we used to be, is, is the, the old person is dead, is gone, is buried, is, is no more. And that God has put a new person, has breathed new life into us. That we are a new creature now. When we become Christians, when we receive salvation, when we give our life to Jesus, we are a new person. You still look the same on the outside, but you are totally different on the inside. So now, looking at Ephesians chapter 4, we start to talk about, let's take some of these big theological realities that he's been talking about in the first part of the book. And we got to really dig into what these look like. So let's dig in. Let's dig into to, to some of the guts a little bit. So the, the word worthy, when it says to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've been called to, that, that idea worthy has the root idea. The, the root word there is what we get our word weight from. The, the English, we, we derive the word axiom from it as well. Any math guys in here? An axiom is, uh, it, it, it literally means to be of equal weight. So the axiom in an equation means that it functions and, and does the same thing to both sides of the equation. So it, it doesn't skew the equation. The equation remains true. It, it helps the math problem work its way through, the, the equation work its way through. So if we talk about living uh, worthy in, a, in an axiom, axioming, that's not a word, living up to what God has, has called us to, what we're talking about is all that stuff that he talked about in the first three chapters of Ephesians, all that incredible gift that God has given to us, the fact that God has saved us even though we didn't deserve it, all of that stuff, all of the stuff that God did for us on this side of the scale. Hey, let's try to, to do what we can to, to live in a way that, that those two things match up. That we live in a way that, that acknowledges how much God has done for us. Please don't hear me say that and think that I'm saying that we earn our salvation because there is no way that we can really balance the scale. But what we should do is we, we should realize and acknowledge how much God has done for us and, and, and everything that we can do. The rest of our life 
is simply a, God, everything I got left. Everything I've got, here it is. I know I'm not going to tip the scale. I I know it's not even going to look like a grain of sand compared to everything that you've done for me. We're not going to balance the scales. But God, everything that I've got is yours. God, change me, clean me up, make me the person that you want me to be. God, everything that I have, every moment of every day, every decision, every attitude, God, I want all of it to reflect the fact that you have given me so, so, so much. So how does that play out? What does Paul start to point to? Well, he, he points in verse 3 where, where actually that's, that's kind of the big thing that we're getting to. He talks about how we're called to unity. It says, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. But before we get there, that, that's the goal. In verse 2, he tells us how we get there. Because in verse 2, that unity which Paul's urging us to, he shows us that it starts with our character. It starts with those character traits that that exist deep within us, deep within our soul. He he says in verse 2 that the way that we get there is with all humility and gentleness, patience, and showing tolerance for one another in love. That's a heavy, like, I didn't even count the words. That's like 14 words or something. And... uh, we could, we, could, we could just do that verse and have plenty for tonight. There's a lot there. First thing we see there is humility. The people who are going to bring unity, the people who are going to function the way that God has called his church to function, that we would be united in the spirit, we have to be humble. That's not a popular word. That wasn't, that, that's not a popular word today, and it wasn't a popular word in Greco-Roman culture. Humility was despised in the ancient world in which Paul was living and Jesus lived in. It was a slave-like quality. People were looked down upon if they were humble. Oh, you're just uh, an insufficient, humble servant. What was admired was the the, the strong, the proud, the the, the self-sufficient. I don't need anybody else. I don't need anything else. I can do it all myself. The the pick-themselves-up-by-their-bootstraps kind of guys. But what I've heard humility identified as, the way I've heard it described and, and really a way that helps us understand that this isn't just viewing ourselves as, as a little nothing. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. I've heard it described as thinking of yourself less. It's not that you think, of, think less of yourself. It's, it's not that you're useless. It's not that you're worthless because if, if Ephesians Chapter 1, 2, and 3 have anything to say about that. It tells us that you're a a son or a daughter of the king, that you are chosen, that you are loved, that, that there's incredible things, that you are worth far more than nothing. We don't think of ourselves as nothing. We just we just don't think of ourselves a lot. I'm more worried about what helps someone else, about how I can serve someone else, how I can give of myself for someone else. That's that's humility. The second thing it talks about is gentleness or or meekness in some translations. Paul extols humility and and couples it with this tandem characteristic. It's a very similar characteristic of gentleness. Gentleness is not weakness, though. It's rather strength under control. I look around and I see men that I know, women too, that I know are here to protect us. They are strong and, and, and fully capable 
safety team members that are here to take care of us. But they're not in here just bulldozing people and, and slam, you know, nobody got body slammed coming into the parking lot tonight, right? I don't think. Strength under control. It's one of the things that I'm trying to teach my sons right now. Just because you're strong enough to do something doesn't mean that you should do it. We have to take the strength that we have. We have to harness it. We have to be careful with it. The, the, the most perfect example of that, as in pretty much every other positive characteristic that we could talk about, is Jesus. Jesus was fully capable of, in a moment, saying, enough. When he was on the cross, all he had to do was go, God, no more. And an army of angels would have come down, swooped him off the cross. He would have been ministered to and... and, and and the cross could have been done in a moment if he wanted it to. But he lived in strength under control. That meekness was, was him restraining himself. Gentleness, meekness, humility, patience. We're to be patient. Literally, it, the, the word translates as being long-tempered, not short-tempered, but, but long-tempered. Be patient. Bear with one another in love is, is what it talks about here. That idea of bearing with one another in love means far more than, than simply tolerating other people. If you tolerate something, that doesn't mean that you love. Love is a calling to positive action. I can, I can cross my arms and pretend like something's not happening and tolerate its presence. But that doesn't mean that I've engaged in a positive way. Love requires positive action. And for us to be patient, that unity, that, that all of this is pointing us to, requires us to be patient, requires us to be understanding. The truth that radiates from verse 2, as we read these ideas of, of humility, of gentleness, of, of patience, of bearing with one another, all of this points to the fact that unity doesn't begin with an external structure. It, it doesn't begin with something that we get together at, at church and we talk about doing. It's, it's not a ministry. It's not a, a program that we do. It's not something that you can get ready for the day and, 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 and go and do in a day. It starts in the core of who we are. They're attitudes of the heart, as it talks about here. This unity of the Spirit, it's talked about in verse 3. It takes people who are so different, so different, and makes them live in absolute soul-satisfying unity. Look around. Look around at the people that are, that are sitting around you. There is an incredible amount of diversity in any given group of, of people, especially in a church, especially in our church, we've got a very diverse group of people. If you look around, we see different body types. People look different, right? People are, are, are shaped different. We've got tall people and small people and, and slender people and wider people. And, and we've got people that are all different colors and, and, and all different ethnicities. And we come from a broad range, a broad spectrum of different places, what about on the inside? If you look around, you, you're going to see people that are introverted and people that are extroverted. You're going to see people who uh, are very emotional. And you're also going to see people who are very reserved. 
who, who, who don't necessarily express their emotions openly and outwardly. We look around, we see lots of different characteristics, lots of different things that we see. We are a very diverse group of people. So if the way that we're going to decide who we love, who we are, are kind to, who we show the love of Christ to by the way that we match up with people, there's not a lot of people that we're going to match up with. There's not a lot of people that, that we perfectly align with that we can love because they're just easy to love all the time. So how can we be unified when we're so different? Well, verses 4, 5, and 6 give us the foundation of our unity. Because in these verses, in these three verses, there's seven different things that Paul talks about in these three verses. And every single one of them points back to our God. Every single one of them points back to the Trinity. And, and all three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all play a role in the foundation of our unity that we're looking at here. Let's read verses 4, 5, and 6 again. It says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were also called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The important thing for us to see in all of these is that our unity, the, the, the fact that we can gather together, is not found in the fact that we can tolerate each other's differences. The, the church is not united because we figure out a way to be nice to each other. The church is united because God has united us. The church is united because out of all of the differences, all of the things that, that separate us, there is one overarching thing that is bigger, that is greater, that is far more important than all of the things that separate us because in that one thing, in the, the, the God that we all worship, that we all as brothers and sisters are adopted by and are a part of his family, we see in all of these verses, we are part of one body. The Bible talks about the, the church being one body. Even though we're many members, even though we do a lot of different things, we have a lot of different gifts, and it actually talks about that a little bit further down in this chapter. There's a lot of different people, a lot of different skills but we are one body. We are united under one head, Jesus Christ. There is one spirit that is at work inside of all of us. The Holy Spirit that is in you is the same Holy Spirit that's in me. We are united in that. We're also called in, in one hope of our calling. We all have the same hope. We may leave this world at different times, but we all share a common hope that God is, is, is greater than anything that we are going to face. He's greater than any sickness. He's greater than any problem. He's greater than anything that this world has to throw at us because one day when we leave this world, God's going to make it all all right. Right? One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We see the Holy Spirit at work in us. We see Jesus as the one who has made it possible for us to be here. He is the one who paid the sin debt that we have all earned, and he is the one that made salvation possible. And ultimately, it's God the Father who's at work as, as adopting us as a son or a daughter. We're united because we are part of one family, because we have one Father. So let's go back now and look at that key verse, verse 3, that I told you guys was kind of the, the central hinge point of all of this. 
Verse 3. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I love the way that, uh, that that was the New American Standard, the way it reads. I love the way that the English Standard Version translates this. It says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That, that, that statement, make every effort, it comes from the, the word which means to make haste. Hurry up. Hey, we've got work to do, so get to it. Make every effort, everything that you've got. We should be pursuing peace. This idea that we would with haste, with passion, with, with everything that we've got, that we would pursue unity. Guys, I don't know if you've been living the same thing I've been living through the course of 2020. But there was never a more important, a more significant message for us to hear tonight than make every effort, everything that you've got, chase after unity. Remember the fact that in the midst of all of the things that divide people, we, sitting here tonight, have one thing that is greater than all of the things that divide us that brings us together. And with everything that you've got inside of you, make pursuing unity, make make being one, make loving one another the way that Jesus talked about in John 13 when we started. Make loving your enemy like Matthew 5 talked about. Make, Make all of these things, make that the goal. Make every effort to pursue the bonds of peace. So what? So what do we do with it? How do we do that? That sounds great, but it's not really easy, right? Drew, how are we going to do that? We have so many fractures in our country right now. There are uh, fights that exist in every corner of the country. In, In every conversation, it seems like there's a landmine of, oh, don't talk about that because it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn ugly if we talk about politics or if we talk about face masks or if we talk about uh, social media or if we talk about our freedoms or if we talk... There, there's these little landmines that are all over the place, right? That, that we have to dodge and avoid in order to make sure that, that a conversation doesn't go sideways and, and we don't end up being hated by uh, a person that we used to love. So what do we do? I'll tell you the secret. I could just say this and we could go home or I can finish all the rest of the stuff that's in my notes. Simply put, the way that we're more united, the the way that we're more functional as as one body is the closer we get to God, the, the, the less all of the junk matters. The less all of the disagreements matter. When... I live my life, I, when I wake up and the first thing that I do is I cut on my phone and I start scrolling through the news or I start scrolling through social media or I start scrolling through something where I'm focused on me, focused on what I need, focused on what I think, focused on how the, the news is going to impact me today. You know what that does? That makes it a little bit harder for me to, to get along with the people that are around me makes it a little bit harder for me to be humble and to be meek and to be 
patient with other people because I'm just focused on what I want and what I need and what my rights are. On the other side of that coin, when we wake up, when we approach our day with the humility of saying, God, I know that I, I can't do it on my own and I need you. And we look to God and we look to his word and, and we seek him in prayer and we humble ourselves before him and say, God, I, this is what I talked about last, part of what we talked about last week. The voices that are inside of me, they lie to me sometimes, don't they? The voices that are inside of me, I, I can't just listen to those voices. And, and really, I can't listen to the voices that are on TV either because they lie to us sometimes too. And I can't listen to the internet because we all know that it lies to us sometimes too, right? You know where we can look? You know where we can look and, and know that we are hearing the truth and that we are hearing what's best for us that's ultimately pointing us towards the bonds of unity, towards being the people that we're supposed to be? The closer we get to God, the further we get away from all of our flesh and all of the junk that, that so easily creeps up in our life and just snags us. One final thing that I think it kind of points out in these verses. It talks about the fact that if we are going to make every effort to keep the unity, to pursue the bonds of unity, we do that through the bonds of peace. One final thing that we need to keep in, in, in our minds as we leave here tonight is that we are called to be peacemakers. We are called to be peacemakers God, Jesus, came with a ministry of reconciliation. With the, uh, that's, a, that's a big theology word to say. He came and God was over here and we had run far from him and we were separated from him. And what Jesus did is he came and he grabbed both sides and he said, I want to bring them back together. He made peace through the sacrifice of his blood. Romans chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, that, that whole section kind of talks about the fact that Jesus came and reconciled and brought back together what was broken. So for us, the closer we get to God, the closer we get to being the people that God wants us to be, we, we get to walk in some small fractured portion of being what Jesus was. We get to be peacemakers in the same way. We get to be peacemakers. We we have to be peacemakers, and if we're going to be peacemakers, there's a few things that we have to do. First thing we have to do is, is we have to be characterized by honesty. A peacemaker is painfully honest about the absence of peace in the world. A peacemaker has to admit when they're at odds with someone else. You guys ever notice that if you just pretend like there's nothing wrong in a relationship, it doesn't ever get better? Well, not usually. It doesn't usually get better. If, if uh, Husbands, wives, if there's a rub, if we just don't talk about it, does it actually get better? Or does it just continue to rub and continue to rub and continue to rub and continue to rub until it blows up? It gets ugly sometimes, right? Ever had that happen with a family member, with a friend? That, that little habit that, that may have uh, bugged you a little bit just continue to rub on you and rub on you and rub on you until it blew up. We have to admit when there's something wrong because if we don't admit when there's something wrong, we can't deal with it and we can't make it better. We have to be honest about things when they're at odds and, and we can't just putty over the cracks. An earthquake comes through here. I'm still new to California, so I'm trying to make this like 
in California terminology and not Virginia terminology. When an earthquake comes through and you get cracks in your foundation, there's two ways that you could deal with it, right? The way I see it, at least. There's two ways that you can deal with it. You can fix the cracks or you can just paint over or or putty over the cracks so you don't see the cracks anymore. If we just cover over the cracks, that's going to be a problem. We didn't fix the problem, right? So they're going to continue to crack more and continue to crumble more. And all of a sudden, one day, if you continue to ignore and ignore and ignore, your house is going to be on the ground because you didn't fix the problems with the foundation. We can't just paint over problems, guys. We have to deal with them. Peacemakers have to dig in and do the hard work of being honest about the fact that something's not right. Peacemaker also has to be willing to risk pain. We have to be willing to to, to do the hard work of figuring out how to get to the bottom of what the problem actually is. I know that there are people in our church who have been impacted by the ugly disease of cancer. When you get a cancer diagnosis, just like we were talking about with the foundation a second ago on your house, I guess you have two choices, right? You can pretend like it's not there and and just continue to go about your life and ultimately it's going to run its course, or you can take the difficult step of, of having someone cut on you, of having someone attack your body, whether it's by medicine, whether it's by surgery, whether it's by some, some damage is going to be done to your body in order to remove the cancer from your body. But it's ultimately the best thing for you is to remove that, right? A surgeon is not there to do harm. He's there to do good, but he has to do it by first creating an incision and doing what would probably cause some pain. Peacemakers, we we have to be willing to risk pain. We have to be willing to fight for what's right. And we have to remember, we have to be tolerant in the best sense of the word. Tolerance is a really popular word that that I don't want you to just hear me say and, and, and stick your fingers in your ears because what the world has called tolerance is not what I'm calling tolerance tonight. Tolerance in the best sense of the word. Tolerance for Christians means that we have to acknowledge that, that we are sinners. Anybody out here tonight ever done something wrong? Yeah, uh, I'm willing to raise a whole, like I, I need more, more limbs to raise because I, I sin against God, I sin against my family, I sin against my friends, I, I sin far more often than I should. But if I acknowledge that, And if I remember that when I'm dealing with someone else and they sin against me, that nothing that they could do to me would even hold a candle to the ways that I have sinned and grieved the heart of God. When I realize that that their sin against me is so much less than my sin against God, you know what? It helps me be a little more tolerant of, of their sin. It helps me be a little more tolerant of their stuff that they've done against me. 2020 hasn't been the best year for any of us, I don't think. 2020's not been great from the outside. Uh, it's, it's also, if, if, we, if we slow down and we're honest with ourselves, it's probably not been the best inside of us either. I've failed in various ways this year, and, and life got really crazy really quick, and I think it got away from some of us. It's the reason why we're here talking about this tonight. 
Our natural tendency is to defend ourselves. Our natural tendency is to uh, brush away and and hide the things that we've done wrong and just pretend like they didn't exist and, and didn't happen. But but tonight, my challenge for you is to slow down and to ponder and to, to ask yourself the question on the way home. Maybe if you're really brave, ask the person that's in the car with you because they might have a different perspective. But, but let's slow down and, and, and have a conversation with God tonight and ask him, God, where do we need to repent? God, where do I need to, to surrender? What do I need to give up? What, where have I failed to make every effort to pursue peace? Where have I failed to make every effort to love my neighbor? Where have I failed to make every effort to to give everything that I have to live humbly and to live with meekness and to live with patience and to live in a way that, that I am not the most important person in my world. Other people are. Paul identified himself in Almost every letter that he wrote, he identified himself as Paul, a bond slave or a bond servant of Christ. A bond slave or a bond servant is someone who was a slave because they chose to be a slave, because they were serving a good master and they wanted to continue to serve that master. And so they willingly put themselves in slavery because they could trust that the master was good. That's where all of us are tonight. And so our question, how have we done, God? How have we done? Have I put other people's needs above my own when it comes to the way that I've dealt with all of the stuff of 2020? Have I put other people's needs above my own when it comes to the way that I've handled coronavirus restrictions? Have I put other people's needs above my own with the way it comes to uh, spreading information and, and talking about politics and all of the other stuff that's going on? Have I put other people's needs above my own when it comes to the way that, that we have talked about race issues in America? Have I put other people's needs above my own when it comes to all of these different things? Tonight is not about all of those little individual issues. It's about the heart of who we are. Because we could get up here and we could really get lost in the weeds of all of the little individual issues. But you know what I can tell you with absolute certainty? God wants us to look different than the world. God calls us to look different than what we're seeing everywhere else. On the news, on the internet, in our workplaces, in our schools, maybe in our homes. God calls us to self-sacrifice. God tells us to give of ourselves. he, He tells us to be patient with other people. He tells us to be loving towards other people. To sacrifice, to 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 make every effort to pursue peace. And there's not an asterisk and a footnote there that says if they are a Republican or if they are a Democrat or if they are an NRA member or if they are a Yankee fan or a Dodger fan. or a, there, There's no asterisk there. He said love people. He said sacrifice for other people.
think I walked too close to the thing. The closer we get to God, the further we get from all of the stuff. I'm standing up here tonight talking about all of this in a little bit of a confession to you guys that there have been far too many days where I've woken up and I've put my eyes on all of the problems and all of the stuff and all of the reasons why we have to argue and not put my eyes on the Savior that loved me, that made a way for salvation, that adopted me, that all of the incredible stuff that Ephesians talks about, how God has blessed us far, far, far more than we deserve. So my beg of you tonight as you go home is slow down, reflect, pause, and ask yourself, how do you need to put your eyes more on Jesus, more on what he calls you to, and less on all of the other stuff? We have two choices. We can live in the spirit, in the way that God tells us to, chasing after him, or we can live in our flesh, doing what we want, looking out for our needs, and living at odds with people. Which one are we going to choose? Church, individual, which one are you going to choose tonight? and every day moving forward. Let's pray. God, we, we mess up so often. God, we sin so often. We need you every moment of every day. God, we are here tonight, and God, I, I am here tonight simply saying, God, I, I, I need you. God, I need you every moment of every day, every, every, everything I do. God, I come up so short when I try to do it on my own. God, we need you to work in us. We need you to work through us. We need your spirit at work inside of us, helping us pursue with everything that we have the unity and the bonds of peace that we're called to as your church. God, we offer our lives to you. God, we pray that you would be like the surgeon with the scalpel that, 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 that is willing to cause temporary pain in our life for long-term healing. God, do your work in our hearts, in our lives tonight and this week and moving forward. God, we, God, we need you. We need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.